Welcome to MTSU on the Record. The year 2020 has seen demonstrations, social media outrage, and allegations of fake news dominate the headlines. What effect has all this had on the First Amendment, the part of the U.S. Constitution designed to protect five freedoms essential to our democracy? Ken Paulson, director of MTSU's Free Speech Center, is here to explore that issue and several items in the news that have First Amendment implications. How free is free speech after this? Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU plans to hold modified, in-person, fall commencement ceremonies for 2020 graduates on Saturday, November 21st at Floyd Stadium, if weather allows. The ceremonies, set for 10 a.m., 1 p.m., and 4 p.m., November 21st, will honor December graduates, with invitations also extended to May and August graduates who are recognized with virtual ceremonies because of the pandemic. A lone inclement weather date is set for Sunday, November 22nd, at the same times. And MTSU's Department of Art and Design is welcoming quite a topic of conversation to the Todd Art Gallery through Saturday, November 21st. Dual exhibits with work created by artists of all ages, curated by a pair of Murfreesboro artists and community advocates. Collective memories, creative expressions through contemporary art, and Words to Live By, collaborative exhibits curated by Dr. Barbara and Leroy Hodges are sharing Todd's spacious main gallery, that's room 224A, which is located at 542 Old Main Circle. The exhibits are free to the public weekdays from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. and Saturdays from 11 to 4. Guests must follow MTSU's mask and social distancing requirements. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome, Ken, and thank you for joining us. Good to talk with you. First of all, congratulations, but what does it mean for the Free Speech Center to be endorsed by the press associations in all 50 states? We're really proud to, to be able to say that there are 50 press associations across America, one for every state, and each and every one of them has said, we support the work you're doing and are, are eager to work with you. So the Free Speech Center's initiative, primary initiative right now, is something called One for All, which is one amendment, the First Amendment for all Americans. What we do is we feature celebrities talking about their relationship with the five freedoms of the First Amendment. And, and so that would include Brad Paisley endorsing freedom of the press, of all things. It includes uh, Loretta Lynn talking about how uh, freedom of speech allowed her to write songs um, like Don't Come Home a Drinking with Lovin' on Your Mind, things that were striking in the early 70s when she wrote those. Uh, we have Doonesbury creator Gary Trudeau talking about why petition is such an important part of America. That would be a multi-million dollar ad campaign to try to make any impact in America. So when a press association says we're in, what that means is all those newspapers in that state and all of their websites are saying, we're giving you space for this campaign. We're going to run your columns. We're going to make sure that the educational efforts you're doing will be spread to Montana or Michigan, California. That's why that's so important. And even now with our partnership with Associated Press, USA Today and the USA Today Network, we have what are called ad impressions. We have 2 million ad impressions 
a week. So that's a very big deal. This is the most vibrant and in some ways longest lasting campaign on behalf of the First Amendment in America. And we're proud to have it housed now at the Free Speech Center at MTSU. And uh, now we have to talk about the reason why you exist to remind <laughs> folks how important the First Amendment is. Amy Coney Barrett is now a U.S. Supreme Court Justice. At her confirmation hearing, she was asked by a Republican senator to name the five freedoms listed in the First Amendment. She mentioned speech, press, religion, and assembly, and then she looked puzzled and said, what else am I missing? And the senator said, redress or protest. Since she was already a jurist and she was nominated to the highest court in the land, that moment gave you pause, and you wrote about it. What did you say? You know, this is not a political observation. I know there are a lot of people who said, how could she possibly forget the right to petition? That's not where I'm coming from. I've had the privilege to testify before Congress, and I've had the privilege many times to be live on national television. It is nerve-wracking. All you can do when you're, when you're sitting there is sort of hope for it to be over without you truly messing up. And this woman had those things, plus the entire world watching her, plus the future of the Supreme Court and her own personal future at stake, and she had a brain cramp. Understandable. I was a little puzzled by uh, Senator Sassy, Sassy, who Sass had a, a statement, as you pointed out, instead of petition, he said redress or protest. He has a doctorate in American history. I mean, the correct answer was petition. Yes, uh, there's no question that, that in the sentence that guarantees us the right to petition, it, it mentions redress, but that's not what the freedom is. And then protest is all five freedoms. So that unsettled me. But, but bottom line, it just reminded me that no one knows enough about the First Amendment. Only 2% of Americans can name the five freedoms. A third of Americans can't name a single freedom in the First Amendment. So my column was not giving Sasser a very hard time. It was really about saying, look at this, the most visible event in the world at this moment and these folks can't name the five freedoms. And that's what the Free Speech Center does. We are trying very hard to improve our collective constitutional literacy and to make sure that Americans understand just how special these five freedoms are and why uh, taken for granted is a terrible mistake. There are certain social media outlets that are becoming somewhat more proactive in banning certain messages that are patently false or extremist. And you commented on this for the Voice of America. What's your take on this as a free speech issue? Well, if we're talking about Facebook and Twitter and others saying you can't put that on our side, you can't put that on our service, I'm okay with that. These are private businesses and they can decide what they want to stand for. You know, if I were to start a business tomorrow, something similar to Facebook, I know that I would, I would say, welcome uh, to this new service. But here's the deal. We want smart conversation. We want the free exchange of ideas. We don't want trolls. We don't want lies. We don't want killer memes. No, that's not what our business is about. We choose to run a Facebook-like service that takes the high ground. And I don't think anyone would quarrel with that as a private business person. But what's happened is Facebook and Twitter have become so large, so pervasive, and we've become so, so dependent on them that people now mistake them for a public utility. They are not. They can decide what to do with their content. They can set their own rules. That is the American way. And I'm perfectly comfortable with, there's no, there's no conflict with the First Amendment. First Amendment says Congress shall make no laws. It doesn't say Facebook shall make no laws. 
it's perfectly fine and people I think can leave Facebook if they're not happy with the, the service. We'll take a break right here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about the state of the First Amendment with Ken Paulson, who's director of MTSU's Free Speech Center. Ken, recently a, a poll worker in Memphis was fired for turning early voters away from the polls because he told them they had to turn their Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe t-shirts inside out. Can you be thrown out of a polling place during election because of the message you have on your clothing? Well, you shouldn't be. There are restrictions on campaigning too close to the polls. But by and large, what people wear is perfectly okay. And certainly Black Lives Matter. That is a social movement. It's not, it's not saying vote for Bob. That was just terrible. Should never happen. No one should be uh, deprived of their, excuse me, right to vote because of their point of view. It was absolutely wrong and shouldn't be occurring anywhere in America. There is another Tennessee case. It's a federal court case. It's pending in which a man says his 15-year-old daughter got kicked out of class at Livingston Academy in Livingston, Tennessee, for wearing a T-shirt that says homosexuality is a sin. And it cited 1 Corinthians 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 on the T-shirt. She was told that the shirt violated the school's dress code for being, quote-unquote, sexually connotative. Livingston Academy, I, I looked it up to see whether or not it was public or private. It's part of the Overton County School District. Really? So, yeah. What recourse does someone have in that uh, circumstance? It seems like free speech and freedom of religion are rubbing up against each other. So many issues involving public schools and, and free expression are almost always related back to bad drafting of a document. And so we don't have the privilege of seeing that here, but they've given us a hint about sexual connotation, which sounds like they were trying to event, to prevent kids from coming in wearing Hooters t-shirts, things would be sexually inappropriate. It all comes down to the writing of the rules. If I were a principal of a high school, I would decide, can kids wear t-shirts? I mean, when I was a, a child back in the previous century, we had to wear collared shirts. We, we couldn't wear, but you decide, you're the principal, you decide. They can wear t-shirts. Okay, what are you gonna let them wear on their t-shirt? If it's, um, you're gonna let them wear, wear pictures, rock stars, you can let them put messages, are you gonna decide, um, you know, what guideline do you have on those messages? So, you know, one thing you probably wanna say is no profanity on any of your clothing. That would. That would be logical because it potentially could be divisive. 
And then, but then you should either say you can have messages on your t-shirts or you may not have messages on your t-shirts. What you cannot say is you may not have Republican t-shirts and you may, you know, you can't pick one side or the other. You cannot decide that an idea is good, that a message is appropriate for a school. So your best bet is to say, no, we're not wearing ideas on our t-shirts and that would be perfectly constitutional. In this case, the schools have one other option. Obviously, the best possible plan is to have a, a regulation that everyone can understand can be applied. But, but in this case, you have a young woman wearing a shirt that is going to provoke some people. I mean, that there's 10 to 20% of Americans who happen to be gay, or another significant percentage that wholly support the gay community there's going to be division. There's going to be a distraction from education. The Tinker case in the mid-60s said, said students in high school, this is a Supreme Court decision, students in high school have the right to express themselves. They don't check their free speech rights at the classroom door. But that those rights can be limited if the conduct, expressive conduct they're engaged in, is likely to create a substantial disruption to the conduct of the educational process. And you'd have to look at the community and you'd have to say, is this likely to have that effect? And that's where school can limit free speech. But the far better strategy is to lay it out up front. So there's never a question. You just point to section 3B and point it and, and the student, is, uh, student can be asked to take the shirt off. In this case, it sounds like the drafting didn't anticipate this t-shirt and that's a problem. Here's a, another uh, uh, recent incident in which uh, homosexuality comes to the fore. There's a case pending in federal court in Miami that accuses a Kroger store of wrongly firing two employees for refusing to wear store aprons supporting the LGBTQ community. The EEOC got involved, and the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, says the store refused to accommodate their religious beliefs since they feel homosexuality is a sin. So the EEOC is siding with the two fired employees. What say you? I think the EEOC is wrong. You have a job. You have the terms of the job. You come to work, you stack shelves, and you wear whatever uniform the uh, the institution that the store wants you to wear. I, the store has its own First Amendment rights. The store can say what it believes in, and it's saying that it supports a very specific movement in society. And those employees have an option not to, not to work at that store. They can walk anytime they want. EEOC is not insignificant, and um, I would not dismiss them as being a lunatic fringe or anything of the sort. But I would say that's not how I read the situation. There are no First Amendment rights in the private sector. And, and in this case, you can decide who you want to hire and what you want to wear. So I, I don't understand that stance. There is a case pending in Nevada. And, you know, the kids uh, at MTSU before the pandemic would write with chalk on the sidewalk about an event they had coming up or, you know, somebody's playing so such and such a place in the borough, they're going to have a concert, so forth. Well, the case is pending in Nevada against the Las Vegas Metro Police Department because some people who wrote F pigs and F the cops with chalk on the sidewalk in front of the police department building were arrested by the cops. And they claim that this was a retaliatory arrest that violates their freedom of speech. 
Do you happen to know what they were charged with? I don't know whether it was something along the lines of disorderly conduct or what. I'm not sure what the exact nature of the charges was, but it causes me to ask a question about what constitutes a retaliatory arrest and how does one ascertain exactly what it would take for you to determine that it is retaliatory? Well, in this case, it would probably be pretty simple. You would go to the prosecutor and ask for the records of every single chalk chalk prosecution they have done in the last (laughs) 10 years. And you would find there were no chalk prosecutions. And then you'd know that it was retaliation. That's why I was asking about what it possibly was, because you could stand on that street outside the police department and say, F the police. You can say it and they can't do anything about it. Um, So the only far-fetched prosecution would be some sort of damage to public property. But the next rainstorm, you've lost all your evidence. I wouldn't take it seriously. It is almost certainly retaliation for the point of view. And they wouldn't have arrested somebody for writing the words, have a happy day. Once you establish that, the prosecution goes away. The most fun thing I ever saw written in chalk was written at MTSU. Somebody wrote it on the side of the business and aerospace building where all the business classes, economics and finance classes are held. And whoever it was wrote, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I don't (laughs) want to tear down the business and aerospace building, but I thought that was hilariously ironic. Uh, We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. Ken Paulson is our guest. He's the director of the Free Speech Center at MTSU, and we're talking about the state of the First Amendment in the very turbulent year of 2020. You wrote an editorial recently in which you said that the First Amendment has no single constituency. What did you mean by that? This actually came off of the the Judge Barrett uh, hearings, and it struck me that why in the world is it that a judge, a senator, all these folks need to be reminded about what the First Amendment says, when they would never forget what the Second Amendment says. And the reason they don't forget what the Second Amendment says is because it's essentially one freedom. It's the right to bear arms. So that's not that difficult. There's also the giant NRA that in many ways determines our political future and can have tremendous influence on an election. So they're not afraid of anybody who's defending the Second Amendment, First Amendment. They're very afraid of whoever's behind the Second Amendment. And as I looked at this, I just thought, well, why is that? Why is there no one visible enough to remind Judge Barrett and others hey, this is important. You need to really focus on this. And the reason is 
It has multiple constituencies, none of them with the clout of the National Rifle Association. You have freedom of the press. Who screams for freedom of the press? The press. Freedom of faith, that's certainly a, a religious community. It's churches, it's religious organizations. The religious organizations are not going to bat for freedom of the press. And the press is not going to bat for freedom of religion. So there's no unity. And you go across the board. You know, the one exception is the, the right to petition. That's the lobbying industry. So we know where that is. And that's the most organized and wealthiest part of the, arguably wealthiest part of the five freedoms constituents. They do a very good job of influencing Congress, obviously. But that's a dilemma. The First Amendment is five freedoms, and I'll just repeat them now. It's freedom of speech and press and religion. Those are the three big ones, and they all have slightly different constituencies or sometimes significantly different constituencies. Then is the right to petition and the right to assemble peaceably. An assembly has almost no constituency. It's the ACLU and other organizations, civil liberties organizations that fight for. But that's it. It's fragmented. It's not a coalition. It's five freedoms within a with a single envelope. But there's no one to say the envelope as a whole is critically important. It's what makes America the freest nation on the planet. It allows you every single day to think, to express yourself, to express yourself in writing, to demand change. It is the most American set of freedoms of all. And yet nobody stands up for all of it. That's what the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University was founded to do. Well, when it comes to the press, you've got You've got the National Press Club, you've got the Sigma Delta Chi, you've got RTDNA, you've got the National Association of Black Journalists, you've got Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, all of these groups, but they don't have a lobby on K Street. So when and how do you get all of these journalists together to say, hey, we're united on this one issue. You can't push us around if you are a governmental entity. Let me insult my former colleagues, whom I'm now dependent upon to distribute these ads. But for years, and I and I should be clear, I was a newspaper editor for about 25 years off and on. I, at USA Today was my last editor's role. For years, our industry said, oh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to talk about need to protect freedom of the press because that would be unseemly. We'd be beating our chest. So that was a mistake. You know, a, American side of news editors is, had had a lobbyist. There are some, there's some of that. But what do they do in Congress, they go and fight for postal rates for newspapers. They don't have the same reflexive attitude when there's an assault on freedom of the press. Now, there are great organizations that do that work. Society for, Pres- for Professional Journalists Committee for the Protection of, of you know Journalists. I'm not saying they don't do it, but nothing on the scale of an NRA. But the other thing is, and I keep preaching this, you ought to be writing those editorials about freedom of religion. You ought to be writing those editorials about the right of assembly, and, and some do, but we are far more infatuated with our freedom, press, than we are with rest, and that, in a nutshell, is the problem, and that's why all the work I've ever done has been about, hey, I need everybody who has a part of this First Amendment to step up and support the whole thing. My public high school offered a journalism course, which I took. Now a couple of constitutional lawyers, Jessica and Sandy Borer, a father and daughter, have written a book titled Your Voice is Your Superpower, A Beginner's Guide to Freedom of Speech and the First Amendment. It's designed for children ages four through seven. So what sort of a job are we as a society doing in explaining the First Amendment to the K through 12 demographic? Oh, it's an excellent question. Not very well at all. And that's why I only 
2% of Americans know the five freedoms, and yet each and every American can recite the Pledge of Allegiance. They're of comparable length, but not of comparable importance. The Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1891 or 92 by a magazine trying to boost subscriptions and uh, sell flags. The Bill of Rights was written by James Madison, and the First Amendment was written by James Madison in an effort to create the freest nation on earth. So they're not the same thing. But yet we know one and we don't know the other. I don't blame teachers. I blame society for not for not making it a priority. You know, if you're being required to test on certain subjects and they don't include civics or the Bill of Rights or the Constitution, they don't get taught. And I just don't think our governing bodies put enough priority on knowing our liberties and their history because we tend to take them for granted. So I think that needs to be fixed. I applaud that book and I'm going to go find it right after this. By the way, we are very soon going to release a new book, Teaching the Bill of Rights to Students, basically three through eight. And it's written by David Hudson. It's a book he published, I think about 2004. And it tells the story of the Bill of Rights for young students. And we purchased it and we're updating it and digitizing it. That'll be made free of charge, available free of charge to schools all over the country. Ken Paulson. Thank you for being our guest on MTSU on the Record. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte Gross, Wise Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. Stephanie Barrett has the middle moment. The College of Education's Elementary Clinical Practice or Student Teaching Program was recently named among the top in the country by the National Council on Teacher Quality. The program received an A score, one of only 33 of the over 1,100 schools evaluated to do so. Bobby Lucier, Executive Director of Professional Experiences at the college, credited collaboration with the university's school district partners for the achievement and highlighted the importance of creating effective teachers to best serve students across the state. Well, I think it's reflective of all the hard work that uh, the university, our school partners, um, our faculty, their faculty, and our students have committed to um, being the best future teachers that, you know, really producing good teachers for the future of our of our students in the classroom. It's not necessarily all about our students, but the students that they're going to be teaching in the classroom. That's, mm-hmm. that's where the focus needs to be, is are those teachers, those students sitting out there in, in classrooms all across Tennessee. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU On The Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.